Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey, everybody. This is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer Richard Scott. Richard has spent over a decade on the Nashville scene touring and recording with Matt Mayer, Francesca Battistelli, Brandon Heath, Mac Powell, and many others. Richard has recorded in many of Nashville's well-known rooms and has more recently been tracking in his own home studio. Richard graduated in 2008 from Belmont University with a Bachelor in Commercial Music Percussion with an emphasis in music technology. He also studied with Chester Thompson while at Belmont. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. If you enjoy what you hear on Working Drummer Podcast, there is a way that you can help. Patreon.com slash Working Drummer is the place where you can go, and you can donate any amount that's good for you. A dollar, five dollars, any amount helps, and with those corresponding amounts, Come different rewards, stickers, t-shirts, an opportunity to take a private online lesson from one of our past guests that include Ben Caesar and Carter McLean. You can also have an episode that focuses on you. You can find that all at patreon.com slash working drummer. For those of you that want to support what we do here at Working Drummer, but maybe Patreon isn't the right fit for you, maybe a one-time donation is better, we have included a link to our PayPal account that you can find on our donate page on the website. A lot of us are using in-ear monitors on a more regular basis than I think we could have anticipated even just a few years ago. And unless you have that big artist gig that provides all the free gear that you need to do your job, you are responsible for the cost of your own in-ears. And as we all know, the price is often getting too high for great sounding in-ear monitors. Session Ace is a company that makes great sounding in-ears at a very reasonable price. And Zach and I have been putting these ears to the test for many months now. And I can honestly say these are some of the best sounding in-ears that I've used. Session Ace sells their ESAs or quad driver headphones for only $199. And for the dual driver or ESTs, it's only $99. The frequency response is better than any of the lower level in-ears you can buy and is either equal to or better than other high-end in-ear monitors. The frequency response for the ESA quad drivers beats the pants off anything under a thousand dollars and also this is a big deal for me the accessory package that comes with these monitor orders has every item you can possibly need from cable extensions to eighth to quarter inch adapters as well as a large assortment of ear tips that you can choose from to fit your ear these are remarkable tools for musical craftsmen go to sessionace.com slash working drummer to find out more about these and all the other items they have to offer. So once again, sessionace.com slash working drummer. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Richard Scott. Mm -hmm. So you're a new father, newish yeah. father? Yeah, I have a one-year-old. Okay, so that's pretty new. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very new. It's been a huge adjustment to yeah. life on the road, um, self-employment. 
this isn't so no one could see this shirt. I'm wearing my podcast shirt. Yeah. I threw it on today. I was like, <laughs> that's going to be a little narcissistic, isn't it? You know, it's funny. I actually, um, so I came straight from the bus. Yeah. And I was pulling all my bags off and I was in like, you know, jogging pants and yeah. you know, comfy clothes. And I was thinking, man, is this how I really want this guy to meet me? <laughs> and so I started changing clothes and I was like, I, this is for a podcast. Yeah, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. I know where I know where you're coming from, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but it's kind of funny. You still, you still kind of think that, you know. I was like, oh, do I put a necklace on, or what kind of jacket should I wear? I'll do my hair. <laughs> as soon as Dude, I got jeans on, I was like, nope, done. That's far enough. Why you're wearing a tuxedo is beyond me. <laughs> I really don't understand. You know, dress for the gig you want, man. But the cowboy hat really sets it off nicely. I'm, at first, I thought you were John Rich coming to the front door. That's what I was going for. I model everything I do Okay. after his look. Well, next time, make it white. Yeah, the whole done. thing. Ruffled shirt, everything. I can do that. Um, so tell me about, uh, you were, who were you with? You um, I'm... I, well, I just finished a tour with an artist named Matt Marr. Yeah. And uh, and actually, he's been kind of my main thing for the last seven years, mm-hmm. which, side note, I really didn't think anything of that. And about five years in, I started getting a lot of comments like, wow, five years, that's that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long, you know. Uh, Why do you think they were making those comments? Uh, well, so they all came at it from a different perspective. Some mm-hmm. guys were like, wow, good for you. Mm-hmm. And other guys were like, um, you know, you're about to get stuck. You know, like they, it was almost like they were trying to warn me against something. But that, you know, that hasn't been my experience. Stuck as in like, okay, this is going to be your gig. This is, you're going to Yeah, be it's it. almost like I'm getting the franchise tag. In mm-hmm. football or something like, oh, well, okay. you know, you're Matt's guy and that's all you'll ever be. Yeah. But that hasn't been my experience because whenever mm-hmm. we've gone through slow times with Matt, you know, maybe like during making a record or just, you mm-hmm. know, there's only so much you can tour. So, yeah. So uh, during those slow times, other things have popped up. Right. They they always do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I haven't really worried about it. But anyway, I... I've been with him for seven years because I love the guy. I love playing music with him. And yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you know, it's really kind of funny. We, we do a lot. Um, we do a lot of really diverse gigs. So, I mean, in the last 12 months we've played theaters, arenas, clubs, churches. Um, and we've been to a few different continents. You know, like it's, it goes all over the place. Has it changed your setup or what you do? Um, you mean just in general or with the different gigs at different types of gigs? Oh yeah, it has actually. Mm -hmm. Um, mostly it's changed my symbol setup, Hmm. you know? Um, but then also, um, yeah, like I have my touring rig, but I want it to be consistent when we fly to England and okay. I can't take that with me. Yeah. So um, it's definitely made me find ways to get the most out of a pretty standard setup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rack, floor. Yeah. But I things that I can take with me are acoustic triggers and a sample pad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can take my cymbals with me. So mm-hmm. there's, 
I've, I've kind of found signature sound pieces that I'll pack down into two 50 pound bags and can go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that signature sound pieces so yeah. that wherever you go, whatever you do, it's flyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, Cause you can, you can tune a Tom pretty close to your normal sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do the, th- the same thing with a snare mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I used to want to carry like my kick pedal and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And I was at SIR and I heard, um, I honestly don't remember the guy's name. He's, he's a veteran drummer though. Mm-hmm. And I, I met him for the first time right mm-hmm. there at the counter and we were, everybody was talking gear and he just pipes up and goes, you know what my favorite drum set is of all time? And we we're like, what, what? Like thinking he was going to blow our minds and he goes, the one that's on stage. Yeah. Yeah. You right. know, he was, and he was saying like, learn to adapt. Yeah. Um, so you can, you can do all those things, but uh, so you can, um, you know, you can dial in a kit that way, uh, to kind of fit your sound, but your symbols, I mean, if you show up and all they have are like some Sabian B8 pros or something, yep, yep. it's going to sound weird. Well, I think, I think because of the symbol selection and the diverse availability of sounds mm-hmm. that, that are available. And that's a really redundant sentence that I just yeah. used. But <laughs> people are getting into some really interesting tones with cymbals that you can't tune necessarily yeah. without a drill or a saw of some sort. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> um, and I don't necessarily do that with cymbals. Like I, mm-hmm. I, um, but I, I have the things that I want. Like I, I have hi hats that, you know, fit into his sound well mm-hmm. and i have one crash that's kind of nice and buttery and washy but mm-hmm. i have another one that's uh a little bit faster on decay right and then the ride is like that perfect blend where you can crash it but it's still dry enough to get some definition mm-hmm. and those are things that not only fit his music well but make me feel at home playing his music yeah. which is just as important yeah 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 and then um we don't run ableton Okay. With Matt. So my job is to create a live sound that kind of still sounds like it. there's tracks mm-hmm. running. Sounds big and, um, I guess, thick. I guess sure, is a good way to sure. describe it, you know. So that's where the triggers come in. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where the SPDSX comes in. Uh-huh. So I can bring that whole, like cool drum loop sound and one shots and mm-hmm. um you know we might layer the toms with some cool sounds yeah things like that, that you were talking about acoustic triggers mm-hmm. and that's where that comes in mm-hmm. okay yeah so we'll uh you know we might layer the drums with a more processed electronic sound okay uh, so as i'm playing the kit it sounds like i'm also there's a loop playing with me um, other times I can just run a one bar loop on the sampler yeah. and just sync it with the click. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh, you've got, you've got tracks. Yeah. But if Matt start change, if he starts changing what he's doing a little bit, yeah. uh, like there's one song where oftentimes there he'll call a solo section. And so I can bring the loops in and out and mm-hmm. make the tracks totally, uh, I hate this word, but organic. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, for, sure. for for what he's doing uh-huh. instead of um, instead of the MD 
over there, like trying to click around mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and find a good spot in the tracks while he's also trying to cover his keys part. Right. Uh, it just, it makes everything really flexible for us. Yeah. Um, and especially, yeah, we, we did this one event. It's actually called one thing and it's, um, it's more of a worship event, mm-hmm. you know, cause Matt's based in, in CCM. Okay. So, um, and he, he came up in jazz. Like went to Arizona State, studied jazz, so everything. I was going to ask you, what is Matt Matt's sound, Matt, Matt Mayer? Sound? Well, it's uh, man, this is hard to describe. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of Americana elements, uh-huh. you know, like uh, uh, Petty, Springsteen, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. he's cool. he loves that music. Yeah, but then there's also him as an artist making sure to. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to say this. He does have that CCM sound as well. Yeah. You know, that's what's made him successful on the radio. Gotcha. Uh, and he also uh, is heavily influenced by movie soundtracks and things like Coldplay. So he's bringing all those elements into the sound that, you know, I, I think is, to me, heavily rooted in Springsteen. Yeah. Um at least it's from my perspective. Right. He he might tell you something different, but um, so. But it's yeah, something you. I mean, you've mentioned. It's like I enjoy this gig. Yeah. Yeah, I like working with this. This is my. Oh man, it's it's so much fun. Yeah. Because, um, he's a he's a jazz pianist who loves guys like Harry Connick, mm-hmm. um, and you can hear that come out. That's cool. Um, you know, there's a there's a song that we do called "Hold Us Together," and it's a pretty standard chord progression. The beat is boom, chick, boom, <laughs> boom, chick. So you're thinking, oh, this is what a simple song, mm-hmm. and it is not simple because <laughs> we get to a solo section and he starts ripping things that my ear can't comprehend. <laughs> you know, was that a sharp nine? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's also looking for us to change things up with him. As far as accents, I'm hitting on the symbols. Yeah. Um, and most nights it, it sounds okay. Some nights it really locks in and we, we're not even sure how we ended up playing the same rhythm. There's an Im- improvisatory element yeah. to maybe his upbringing and so he wants exactly. to bring that to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And so cool, right? at this thing, uh, at that one thing event that I was talking about, uh-huh. he wrote a song on the spot. Yeah. And we were all looking at each other like, what's what's happening? MD starts calling out chords as he figures them out. Mm-hmm. And then we have to find a way to to back him up. Yeah. And also sound like it belongs exactly. at a worship event. Exactly. So, um, and being able to fit in with his sound. So I have a couple of patches that that have one shots that typically fit in with his live sound so i was gonna say i was gonna make a joke like oh you're gonna bring the sbda but you 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 did yeah you really did yeah okay that's great it was actually fun i mean like yeah i was kind of looking at the md like should i yeah and he started waving me on so yeah i did and then that's great as we started to kind of get our bearings on where he's going and he's giving us hand signals like or like you know rocking the neck of his guitar up and down, like asking for more. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. switched to the real kit and kind of built into something. And, right. Um, 
so it's 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 really important to have those elements to to fit in with him and to be able to go on the fly it makes it so much fun it really does it, it's different than like playing a gig where somebody's like hey i'm gonna play this song well we don't really know it oh just follow me and that can be but like we're gonna do something here we're gonna take a song to a new place mm-hmm. or come up with something altogether. it could be you're like man something happened there yeah. and, and and you can't there's no room to think too much about it you yeah. just let stuff happen it yeah. could be a great feeling you've, you've been uh i would say the most helpful thing for me was um studying with chester thompson yeah man he would get so mad at me if he thought i was thinking <laughs> you know he was like it's all in your ears what is chester heart. thompson like when he's mad i can't imagine it being you know what he gets it's, quieter yeah he, he kind of does he doesn't use a lot of words he, no, he does but it's like this disappointed parent thing and <laughs> that, it is that cuts to the quick it man. really does man <laughs> oh gosh i would leave lessons just mortified that's hilarious um but you know he he always talked about use your your ears and your heart your ears and your heart and that and that is it don't overthink it you know like oh, you know how to have a conversation same thing on drums yeah just talk yeah. you know it was that kind of thing and so those little lessons that lessons within lessons have been the most important ones i would say for me as a working musician yeah yeah uh I, man i'm trying to think of an example recently that's kind of uh, occurred to me um, where there's somebody I worked with and I was having a conversation with another bandmate just we're trying to kind of suss the situation out and mm-hmm. he's like here's what I figured out this 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 person is a great player but not as strong of a musician mm-hmm. and and I knew what he meant it was like he can really play his instrument but when it comes time to come in the right time on account or push a, a section or play a certain rhythm or find the key he mm-hmm. can get lost quickly for the number of years that he's been playing and it boggles my mind mm-hmm. um you see that in newer musicians or young musicians um that don't quite have that even if their chops are really good. But the yeah. sense of understanding the lay of the land when everyone is working together yeah, sometimes gets lost. It's like, guys, the chorus is the same the second time as it was the first time. Yeah. There's still a push on the end, you know, yeah. on the fourth bar, yeah. just like we did before. You could probably anticipate it, you yeah. know. And that's what makes the studio guys so fast mm-hmm. that do it all the time. Yeah, you know, it's just like. Um, I wanted to ask you one quick thing about sure. Matt. Um, you talked about your rig and and all the different things. Did did that evolve over time, or when you first started, was it like, well, this is kind of what we do. Here's what you're responsible for. How did that uh, come about? Yeah, when I first started with him, there was no MD. Huh. He was he was basically it, and yeah. I showed up and I was handed a hard drive with some Ableton files on there. Okay. And so I just, I had my, my rig that I thought would fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would hit play and, and then just play the songs. Yeah. And then, uh, 
once we made the decision to drop Ableton, which I'm I'm cool with tracks like they're yeah it's just kind of a part of it now sure know? but it was for us it was the most liberating thing in the world but we had to figure out at the time we were a four piece mm-hmm. so we had to figure out what could survive from the Ableton sessions and what could um, keep his sound going mm-hmm. and so we started with an SPDS like the old one mm-hmm. you know um and then from there, it turned into, I think, a pedal board for the bass player. And okay. Since then, I'm the only band member left. So gotcha. we got a keys player who started being able to cover all these sounds. Yeah. Which meant I had to step up my game to, to match what he was doing. So got a new SPDSX, started uh, running more one shots. Mm-hmm. Then the MD is like, dude, we need to take it to the next level. Yeah. So then that's where the triggers came in because yeah. we were just trying to figure out how to take care of little details. Like there's a song where I don't use the snare drum until like the second chorus. Mm-hmm. So, but we really wanted it. Um, and it's hard to describe kind of the vibe of the song, but we really wanted a tambourine hit that was good and clear. So it mm-hmm. turned into a trigger on the snare with a tambourine hit to layer that with the tambourine that was sitting on the hi-hat. Oh, in addition. You know, so, you know, you kind of have that look, but it just gave it a little bit more presence mm-hmm. because our front of house was like, hey, I'm having trouble with that tambourine on the hat. It mm-hmm. sounds good. It's not cutting. Yeah. Okay, so how, how do we do it? So slowly, you know, tour by tour, Yeah. new elements get added. Right. <clears throat> it becomes part of the thing. Yeah. And now it's whenever I get a sub, it's turned mm. into a thing where I have to send them a GoPro video to teach them how to use my my sample. Wow. Rig. Okay. Um, which is actually kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on on a couple of recordings uh, that we did at Smokestack, which is like a it's just like a toy closet for drummers. I don't know if you've ever been over there. I haven't. No. <clears throat> it's a uh, Paul Moak has drums for days yeah and so we did this recording and we used a big like 30 inch bass drum oh sweet and i was like well how am i gonna uh-huh. how am i gonna recreate that yeah uh so a friend of mine helped me saw off part of an old bass drum shell something that was more portable yeah and put a 50s uh a 52 under it yeah, yeah. and you get this big not much attack just all low end uh-huh. and so that turned into my second floor tom you know, so I could. So is this like a single-headed like gong tom? Uh huh. Yeah. And there's a f- Beta Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. Just there? right underneath it on the center, and uh, we we kind of took a lot of the attack out, so it's just all yeah. low end, and I can play it really soft, or I can hit it really hard and get like an eight oh eight yeah kind of thing, and oh, so. Yeah. But Matt and the MD really liked that. Uh-huh. I just did it for a Christmas tour, uh-huh. you know. Um, and so now that, so it turned into a second floor Tom, like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you layered that with this Tom groove to really give it some, uh, right. Right. Can I say balls? Like to, to, you can to, say to, anything you, you want. All right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of give it some balls. You know? Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, 
And so then that kind of turned into a thing mm-hmm. that I never would have thought I would use. You know, I was like, I mean, I'm not Neil Pert, right? That guy. Well, I know, but it, you know, do you know Keo Stroud? I've met Keo yeah. a few times and I know that he kind of does the same thing. Yeah. I know. I don't know if he's still doing it, but I remember when he first started with Big and Rich, he was, he had that single headed Tom Gong, you know, and, yeah. and you know, it's like, I, I'm used to seeing that old Neil Peart setup with the gong tom, the tomong, and it's like, that yeah. must be a special drum that you have to have, and it's got a certain depth to it. But now I see them, they're all really shallow. Yeah, like and DW started making that one. It's like a pancake. Yeah. It's really thin. Yeah, and so, it, it uh, works, it works. When I So I started working with uh, A&F Drums. I don't know if you've heard, heard of them. them. They're, mm-hmm. I mean, they're kind of a younger company out of mm-hmm. Austin, but very boutique drums. Nice. Yeah, and so I started working with them, and Rami was just like, "Dude, I, I really want to try to make you one of those gong drums, mm-hmm. so it'll match your kit." Mm-hmm. He's like, "But I think I can do it." And what he made was this six and a half inch deep, twenty inch bass drum, and the shell is just like paper thin, mm-hmm. and it sounds unbelievable. That's great. It, it's amazing. That's great. Um, so yeah, it's thing, those kind of elements have just come over time from yeah. somebody in the band saying, this sounds great. What if you started using it more? I know you brought it out for this one, like 12 show run of you know, Christmas songs. But. The, there, there's, I don't remember who said it, but one of the, one of the interviews or something, but somebody, and it'll maybe come to me, but somebody was talking about trying to be intentional, intentional. And it might've been Terrence Clark. Uh, it, uh, engage with the other musicians and I mean as the best compliment a lot of us can receive is I didn't even know you were back there during the show man mm-hmm. like I felt comfortable I felt supported I could sing I could play and I knew you you had my back mm-hmm. but there's because you because you weren't overplaying you weren't playing uh, something that didn't fit right but I think it was Terrence was was interjecting an idea that you find a way to express yourself and engage the other musicians in a way that they feel like they want to be a part of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I kind of knew what he meant. And sometimes it's just leaning in a little bit Mm -hmm. and you're like, Hey, we doing this? Yeah. How you yeah. doing? You give them a look and the person, you're like, yeah, man, this is happening. This is great. Yeah. Crowd's digging it. We're digging it. Let's dig in a little bit. You look over at the bass player, give them a little stink face. Yep. But then sometimes I think what you're talking about is that you're introducing sound elements, design, sound design. That's, that's making Matt going, that was inspiring. I want more of that. Yeah. Hey, you know, Rich, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Let's do more of this, you know, and I imagine that what you bring to the table as a player secures your position in the band, but also like I want to do something to I want to lend my artistic ideas to make you know create more space for Matt to work in. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that's another way to get engaged, you know. Yeah, and. Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like this is important to say a hurdle for me to get over, mm-hmm. to start doing that was, it, it was two things. 
it was one, um, I don't want to look uncool, <laughs> right? You know, like, nobody wants to see a dude with a 17 piece kit. You know, I do. Well, <laughs> I, 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 like, I think it's kind of cool, yeah. but no, I know, I know what you're but, saying, but I get it. Everybody's like, Oh, just use a four piece and don't overplay it. Right. Um, yep. So I was really careful about what I added mm-hmm. to my kit. It just, uh, I was self-conscious about it. Hmm. But then also I was kind of like, you know, it's not like the crowd notices this stuff. Are they really going to notice if I don't have that gong drum? Are they going to notice if I'm not using these triggers? And I think the answer is yes. They don't, they don't know they notice, but they, they don't they know, know why there's something different. They don't know why something's missing. Yeah. But they know it. And, uh, and it was actually our, uh, our band leader that kind of helped me talk through that. And he was like, dude, these are the things that, that make our sound special on stage yes. and, yeah. and create an environment that, that the crowd likes being a part of. Mm-hmm. So even though it's subtle, mm-hmm. it's, it's still important. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I kind of got over it and started enjoying it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, cause it's like if you, if you listen to Matt's music, like none of the grooves are going to be like Mike Portnoy math mm-hmm. class grooves, right? They're, <laughs> they're all going to be pretty straight ahead. They feel great. They really, they fit the music. Yeah. Um, and so what, what can you do to embellish that? What can you do that to make that something special live? Mm-hmm. And the answer for us we found is texture. Right. Drum sets have gotten smaller. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that the role of the drummer has gotten less important. No. It not is at all. it has just shifted in a way that we're here to create groove and sound and texture and sound design. And if anything where the demands on us as musicians is greater than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be really conscious of what you're introducing to songs and stuff like that. It's not just drums. It's just not just hitting and playing rhythms. It sounds, it's melody, you know? Yeah. It's, it's reinforcing that. And technology and experimentation is allowing the, the I mean, why not move this forward? Yeah. You know? As a side, 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 side note. Okay. I want to ask you, because what you're talking about is so relevant to all of us. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you on that side, 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 side note is <laughs> with, with those of us that don't have the SBDX, mm-hmm. do we wait for that time when the artist says, okay, this is what we use. We've, we're going to get one. Or, you know, the, the, the crew's going to get one or whatever for mm-hmm. this tour. Or do you have one? Do you know how to use it? Great. Well, then you're our guy. How do you balance? Because sometimes it's like, well, here's my budget for gear. I need a new ride symbol. I need heads. I need mm-hmm. sticks. I need a kit. Where do I... I mean, right now I'm kind of going through this because I'm playing with so many different people and have different demands, where do I invest my, and I see a lot of people. So for me personally, like I don't have an SBDX. Right. Um, 
but if I needed one tomorrow, I could do it. But do I need to have one before that happens? What do you think? I think yes. <laughs> Honest, honestly, do because uh, there is a learning curve. Yeah. To what it can do. Yeah. Um, that a lot of people don't think about, like from everything from mute groups to whether or not the dynamics are on or off with the sampler. Do you have it set in poly mode? Um, mm. how, do you know how to set up a user chain? Or are you just going to pray that you can remember which number the patch is when you get in mm-hmm. to your set? Mm-hmm. Um, learning the ins and outs of that instrument, mm-hmm. I think, is really important. Yeah. And uh, the way I did it, I just started to view it um, at the time, like when I bought my SPDS, the, the old one. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, something is happening. Like, I need... I need to know about electronics. Yeah. I can't just hit a drum and say, well, that's all I know. Yeah. Um, so I got a free version of Ableton and I found an old SPDS for like 200 bucks on eBay and just started learning. Mm-hmm. And I probably owned that SPDS for two years mm-hmm. before I actually got to use it on a gig. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I tried a bunch of different things. Like I, I was, I was always buying and selling on eBay. Like I got one of those old D drum modules mm-hmm. to try and learn about triggers. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but wasn't really digging what that machine could do, even though it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't fitting what I wanted. So I sold it. Yeah. Got the SPDS and, um, realized like it's, it was a little bit more flexible started learning it and by the time I finally got asked to use it on a tour I was mm-hmm. so comfortable with it yeah. that I could make the changes necessary mm-hmm. during rehearsals yeah to make it fit yeah um it's no different you know if a if a keys player only plays piano mm-hmm. he's not going to buy a a profit <laughs> the day before rehearsals start and mm-hmm. think that he can have good command over what it can do. Yeah. So I do think it's becoming a pretty standard piece of setup. It is to me, you know, so, um, I mean, it's important to have. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's certain styles of music and drumming that you're just never going to need it. But I think for a lot of modern pop music, yeah. Of all genres, that's the Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And you can use it for more than just, samples you know you can plug a midi cable into it and you can control ableton with it yeah i mean that's an expensive controller yeah um you know another good route some people may disagree with me but another good route is to go find a drum cat do you remember those Mm -hmm. things i do those things are they're tanks man so yeah if you find an old one on ebay chances are it's still gonna work right and it's a really great MIDI controller. Yeah. It's a similar thing to the SPDSX. So, uh-huh. you know, if you only have 100 bucks sitting around or 200 bucks, then find something like that. And I always had 200 bucks laying around. Yeah, man. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> I think you tripped over it when you walked in. I did, actually. It was. <laughs> Sorry. Stacks of cash just floating. Yeah. Around. My first thought was, man, this guy really needs to clean up and clean this cash up. Does, I have, does he a, have a bank spe- account? I have a special vacuum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that avoids cash. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I was at Auburn studying industrial design, which is it's kind of like uh, graphic design and engineering had a baby. You know? Yeah. So it's um, most people know Johnny Ives, the famous Apple designer that de- that designs all the phones and computers. Oh, cool. That's industrial design. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so I was doing that, and but I was I was frustrated. I was unhappy, and you know, my whole life I had been asking for music lessons from my parents. You know, let me learn violin, let me learn piano, and they kind of talked me out of it. Not because they were bad parents, but mm-hmm. because they had just gone through hell with my two older sisters. Mm. And they're like, I'm not doing that again. You know, mm. and uh, and I, you know was just stockpiling Christmas money and finally decided I'm going to buy myself a Pearl export Yeah, and just beat the crap out of it, have some fun. Mm. And, uh, I went and worked a camp that had a band. Mm. They needed a drummer and Mm. I just raised my hand like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I can do this. You know, Mm. I didn't know that my time was terrible and I was, you know, hitting the ride symbol way too heavy. And Mm. I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. But while I was there, the bass player, kind of filled me in on the fact that people make a living doing that. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, hello, what? Yeah. Like <laughs> my, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I've been living in this college town with no music scene, uh, whatsoever. I had friends that played music, but yeah. that was about it. And so I started doing my homework and I went and interviewed at Belmont mm-hmm. just like saying, Hey, I'm interested. And, uh, and the guy goes, well, I'm assuming that you have your, you know, your Latin and your jazz and, and I kind of went, excuse me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have my what? No, I just want to play rock and roll, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, you're going to want to get that. Yeah. And, uh, and luckily he had been in grad school when the drum instructor at Auburn was an undergrad. They were at LSU together. Okay. Even crazier. So my Side note that's probably going to catch more interest than it should. My parents sent me to military school when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. The academic dean there was a percussion guru, right? Mm-hmm. And he was in grad school with the Belmont guy. And so oh. they both knew the Auburn guy. Yeah. Called in a favor for me because he apparently wasn't taking private students. Uh-huh. And they're like, this guy needs to learn marimba and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff to get into music school. And he took me on for 20 bucks a lesson. Wow. It, was, it was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and then I went and got a storage unit, uh, 24 hours. You were in Nashville stuff. already. No, I was in Auburn still. You were in Auburn. I gotcha. And I went and asked for the unit and the lady was having computer problems. And I was like, Oh, let me fix that for you. So I fixed her computer really easy. And she goes, I'll tell you what, if you're willing to be my computer guy, I'll give you a unit for free. And so that all of a sudden it turned into a very serious pursuit where I would spend all night. I mean, literally five hours every night just up there practicing whatever Troy bro at Auburn was teaching me. Yeah. Which by the way, if nobody knows who Troy is, check him out. He's in Louisiana. What's his name? Bro. B R E A U X. It's so Louisiana. Yeah. Man, <laughs> the guy is unbelievable, though. Like, yeah. He's such a good drummer. He's uh, And he opened my mind to so many things. Like, um, 
Michelle Camillo. I don't know if you've ever yeah, listened to him. Know. I'd never heard of him. Right. Weckle played with a lot with him. Yeah. Him. And he gave me a record with Horacio Hernandez. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you mean that's one dude? Yeah, right. And all of a sudden, drums became more than just playing on an Aerosmith song. Mm-hmm. It, it became a parallel to what I was learning in design. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just got sucked in. I couldn't think about anything else. I, I love that. Yeah, you know, I couldn't do anything else. So how old were you about that time? Uh, 22, 23. Yeah. Um, but I already knew how to read music from church choir. And mm-hmm. so I knew how to read m- rhythm and music. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, thanks to YouTube and the internet, I learned all my rudiments and that kind of stuff like Crazy. beforehand. And yeah. then he just kind of dialed it in. And so I auditioned for Belmont and amazingly enough, I didn't get in. I mean, like I got the letter in like three days, like, sorry, bro. Yeah. So I called Dr. Norton at Belmont. I mean, probably once a week, once every two weeks Mm -hmm. just to find out like, why didn't I get in? What can I do? Mm -hmm. And he finally called me back and he's like, dude, you haven't hit a brick wall. We can just tell that you don't know what you're doing. Like you haven't been playing long. Mm -hmm. So here's some things to work on. So I went back to Auburn, kept working for another year. Mm Mm-hmm. And started, um, I picked up a minor in music at Auburn, so I would have access to marimbas in the yeah, practice yeah, rooms, yeah. things like that. Uh-huh. And I was only taking like one music class a semester. This was all just a gateway for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I was only doing enough at Auburn okay. to keep me in those practice rooms. And yeah. that was it. And uh, worked and worked and worked and... Um, and got into Belmont uh-huh. and showed up, made Dean's list for the front. I was a terrible student because you know, <laughs> I can't sit still. So yeah. uh, made Dean's list for the first time in my life yeah. and was excited about school and learning just because it meant I got to be around these fantastic players and these mm-hmm. teachers that were um, not only making me feel unprepared, but also blowing my mind all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um like Todd London, I don't know if you've ever met Todd. He teaches, he has a trio yeah. around town and does a lot with steel drums. And yeah. he also, I think it was the first week I studied with him, he told me that he wrote music for a soap opera. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, hold on. I just want to play drums. And now you're telling me I can do more. Right. I can actually be a musician. Uh-huh. And so I quit working on or attempting to work on chops and started paying more attention in my piano classes and right. uh, working harder, harder on marimba and all right. that kind of stuff. Right. And, uh, and that was three years of just, I would say intense concentration. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, um, and the meanwhile, my parents are freaking out, you know, like, what are you doing with your life? You just, mm-hmm. you're throwing away an education at Auburn and, mm-hmm. um, but I started making good grades. I finished. I got my degree. Yeah. And they were like, okay, so at least you're serious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I worked at the Apple store for a couple of years while gigging around town, you know, doing mm-hmm. sessions for Subway sandwiches and stuff like that. And um, got a gig with a band called Addison Road. And I thought it was just a temporary, like, two-month thing. So I go and do it, come back, tell my boss at the Apple store that they offered me the gig 
And he was like, so what are you telling me? And I was like, <laughs> well, could I stay part time? Like I was, I didn't know how to make the jump. Like yeah, I, right. at the time I was like, man, I'm not, am I ready for this? Am, uh-huh. am I worthy of this? Uh-huh. I still have so much growing left to do. And he just looked at me and said, no, I think you're telling me you're going to take the gig. Otherwise, I'm going to fire you and you're going to have to take the gig. Nice. <laughs> he was a huge believer in me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say my story is a is a combination of. How do you say this word? You know, not ignorance, like. Naivety. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Just not knowing Mm-hmm. How scary what I was getting into was mm-hmm. and just going full steam ahead mm-hmm. and along the way running into people that mm-hmm. were surprisingly supportive of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really been, it's been a, a great ride. So, But I think the lesson, the takeaway here is that we get so caught up in overthinking the big picture that can keep us from moving forward from Mm -hmm. taking that leap much the same way that Chester was saying, don't think on the little things like in a performance Mm -hmm. that prevents you from reaching that place that you need to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And, And your story is similar to mine as far as music being the thing that gets you focused, your grades get better. Mm-hmm. All those things happen because I started younger than you. I took a more traditional route like so many players, but I was never a great student. But when I got into vocational school late in high school with a focus on music, mm-hmm. all of a sudden straight A's. Yeah. How? How? What what the hell have I been doing all these years before? Yeah. <laughs> How did I yeah. not get into that? <laughs> you know, I could have been a better student. But now I'm passing that on to my sons. It's mm-hmm. like work, stay focused, you know, find yeah. that thing that you love. And, you know, I love that, man. I love that. That's really awesome. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I know we've had um, – I don't know where, I think we're about 160 episodes so far. And we've had drummers that have worked in the contemporary Christian music industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But we haven't really dove that deep into it. Um, And I want to get your perspective, because I know that a lot of the work that you've done in recent years, the last decade or so, has been the CCM thing. Mm I have uh, some nieces and a nephew that went to Boyce College up in Kentucky, and okay. uh, a couple of them have gotten into music really heavily. Um, they've sent, a couple have since graduated and starting young families and doing wonderfully well. Praise and worship music has been a big focus mm-hmm. of of where or a part of what they want to do or more of what they want to do. And so we've had a little discussion here and there about music uh, from time to time, but we've never really dove deep into it, even discussions with my sister about, hey, how's Nashville? And well, here's what's going on. And yeah, Caleb would love to come down to Nashville. And I was like, yeah, he should. There's so much going on. But I'm not really familiar with a lot of the community or what it is. What differentiates the experience in a in in the music business from it, it, within the, that world? The CCM does that make sense? Yeah, 
You know, it's, it's like if someone's like, this is, these are my people. This is, this is my calling. This is uh, where I need to be putting my talents and my energy mm-hmm. uh, with music. Well, that's kind of tricky. So I didn't move here with the goal of being mm-hmm. in CCM. Um, I also didn't move here with the goal of not being in CCM either. You know, like I, yeah. um, it was a clean slate when I moved here. Yeah, gotcha. Like I, I just kind of, I literally stumbled into the CCM world, mm-hmm. and then it turned into a career. Mm. Um, so I can I can tell you what I've observed. Yeah. other people doing um and then i can also tell you i have uh, a lot of my friends that that work in ccm have a similar experience to me mm-hmm. they just got involved in a musical community mm-hmm. and connections and relationships ended up landing them in ccm right before anything else right um but i i would say that it's no different than any other musical experience Mm -hmm. Um, except instead of getting involved in the bar scene in your town Mm -hmm. you start playing at other churches yeah you might play at your own church but then you also lend yourself to other churches Mm -hmm. and you start getting to know everybody that's kind of in that circle especially in cities like dallas or atlanta Mm -hmm. um, la Mm -hmm. where you know churches used to pay an organist to be on staff mm-hmm. and there were these amazing musicians that could cover anything yeah. on the organ from Sunday to Sunday. And they worked, they worked very closely with the music director. Right. Well, so now that's shifted into a band instead of an organist. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and a lot of these bigger cities, it's a whole network of musicians. Like it's similar to like the Broadway scene here, except yeah. it's in church instead of right in bars. Yeah. So I would say the musical experience like isn't that much different. It's just a different location. Sure. And, and maybe a different attitude. I, I, well, I, imagine I don't know, so. but um, you don't do you a know. holler and a swaller. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Only during communion. But yeah, even but then, that's it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, wherever you are, instead of feeling like you have to be in Nashville, you just kind of get, you get plugged into your local scene. Yeah, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and, and you find the place that you thrive the most, and yeah. you just go with it. Right. And if it leads you to Nashville to tour out of here, great. Mm-hmm. Right. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. Well, that that leads me to another thing. I think even in, within my conversation with my sister, talking about Nashville, I said, "Yeah, Nashville has it's a concentrated group of studios and musicians and writers, but I imagine that." for someone that is interested in taking on a um, being the musical director of mm-hmm. a church or working within the community of churches. I mean, there's there's a community of churches all over the country. And mm-hmm. I, I said, I don't think he has to be in Nashville for that to, to happen. I have friends growing up that like, oh, he's... He's the musical director at this church in Arizona and Mm -hmm. like you said, Dallas and different places like that. It's, there isn't a hub the way there is in country music or touring, but I know that, and I've been here for about 20 years. Okay. I I know that it almost seemed like just behind country music was 
the gospel and CCM mm-hmm. and things. So that made me think that, is there a hub for that? But I don't think so. Um, I mean, it is, it is really heavy here. Uh-huh. But I think that's just because that's where all the, the labels kind of popped up for CCM. Gotcha. Um, they, so, you know, artists started moving here to be with their labels and their managements companies and, uh, where the studios were. Exactly. And then it's also such an easy place to tour out of. That's I, what I, makes Nashville. That's, yeah. that's the reason why Nashville is the home of country music. That if you go back in history, mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with the Opry. It was, had to do with its location. You know, to get to yeah. Atlanta, to get to Chicago, New Orleans, wherever. Yeah. yeah. And I would say um, a lot of Christian and gospel artists put a big emphasis on family. They have families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want their musicians to value families. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can be based in a place that gets you home every Monday morning, yeah, that's what you want. And yeah. to be honest, that's one of the things that's has kept me in Nashville more, yeah. more than anything else um, is the fact that I can tour, make a living, but I'm home every week. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, West Coast runs and yeah. things like that. But I can see my daughter every week. Awesome. And I can see my wife yep. every week. Yep. It's, uh, it's actually really important. It is. Because uh, I think it's, this is something I've always found interesting, but, um, you know, music did not have, this is gonna be so cheesy, but (laughs) music took on more meaning when I got a family. Yes. So much of music is about love, Uh especially in country music. Uh And when you really experience like what it means to be in the trenches of something like that, Uh that's when the music starts to come to life. I, I, um, was it a, uh, I was at an event at Opryland hotel mm-hmm. and, uh, at, at Gaylord. So we, uh, we're on a break and we, we go to like one of the restaurants to grab a beer and, uh, and we, you know, we're talking to the bartender mm-hmm. and he mentions like, Oh yeah, I'm in music. And we're like, okay, I do. I mean, everybody is, you know, right, right, right. and, uh, we're like, well, what do you do? And he goes, I'll write songs. Yeah. And we're like, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, are you, have you been in town long? And he's like, oh yeah, well I just, uh, he's like, I'm, I'm about to sign a pub deal. Yeah. I'm really excited. And we're like, dude, that must've taken forever. You know, like yeah. good on you. Like we're yeah. kind of, you know, praising him for it. And he goes, dude, I didn't have anything to say. He's like, I'm in my forties and I just now have something worthwhile to say. Right. And, and that kind of, that kind of stuck with me. You know, like, all right, well, I'm in my thirties. Uh-huh. I'm just now getting married. I'm just now having a kid uh-huh. and I'm realizing I was ignorant before then. I knew mm-hmm. nothing about love and life mm-hmm. and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. That was all just like a far off idea mm-hmm. that I thought I could tell you about. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think, I think family is important on multiple levels. I think oh, yeah. that's what I was trying to say with that, uh, no, I agree. So. And I've mentioned it many times. I mean, everybody's, again, everybody's path is different. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but, but again, this bringing your story 
and how it relates to those who are interested in having a family. It's important, man. And it's been, it's, it's dictated how I choose my musical career because Mm -hmm. family has always been important to me. Always since I was Mm -hmm. a kid, I always wanted kids. So now I have two and I, and as a result of coming off the road and working more in town, I get to see them almost every day. Yeah. You know, So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, NotSoModernDrummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. You can, you can hear and feel a difference in your playing and other people's playings Sorry, that sounded crazy. <laughs> and you're playing and other people's playing when they are connecting to either what the song is about or just the general emotion that it's trying to convey. Yeah. Because they start to contribute to it. Yeah. Because they feel it themselves. And it it changes things. Right, it does. So when you're in a session, do you have an approach to... So you get to the session. Oftentimes you don't know what the song is until you're there. Mm-hmm. Here's the song. Here's the demo, whatever. How do you get to that headspace? I've never been asked to explain it. So <laughs> it, might, it might take me a sec. Uh, I do, in, all, in all honesty, probably 75% of the time, I'm not even given the time to find my way there. By the time I connect to the song, mm-hmm. we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. I the the studio scene in Nashville is very quick. It is. It's very fast. Mm-hmm. But when I work with somebody like Brandon, um, mm-hmm. Brandon Owens, who you're not necessarily, you're not in a situation where you're trying to get three songs in thirty mm-hmm. seconds. You know, you're you've got time, mm-hmm. and uh, and they'll stop and explain. Hey, here's what I'm going for. Here's what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, match records, saints and sinners before each song, we would all, we would all get set up and then he would come over a talk back and tell everybody why he wrote it, what it's about. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, he kind of helps you, he helped you get in that headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually I try and take my cues from, you know, when I'm not in that situation, I try and take my cues when the producer's saying we're going for this feel. Yeah. It's going to be at this tempo. Drummer, I want you to, you know, kind of give me this kind of thing. Right. All right, so I've already got the the spirit of the song going. Mm-hmm. And so then I can just listen for words that stick out mm. in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And so I may not have time to fully connect with the song, but if I take the time to listen to more than than whether or not I'm playing the perfect 16th note pattern mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whether or not I'm 
hitting the snare that perfect millisecond after the click, which is something I used to get wrapped up in. Like, oh, I need to sound like a computer. Right. But instead, I started taking my cues from the melody and um, the emotion coming from the vocalist as well as the direction from the producer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all context clues that you're putting together in the moment. Has it served you well? I would like to think so. Yeah. Um, It definitely made my playing more relaxed. Mm. Uh, nice. And when you're more relaxed, you naturally tend to mix yourself a little bit better. Because mm-hmm. when you're uptight, you know, you're hitting that hi-hat hard because you're concentrating on it. Right. But when you, it goes back to the same thing that Chester used to get onto me for, mm-hmm. you know, using your ear and your heart instead of, instead of your brain. Yeah. When you're using your ear, you can hear when the hi-hat's getting rid of that thing that you want to concentrate mm-hmm. on. And mm-hmm. that's the lyric. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're naturally going to get out of its way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's helped me grow tremendously as a, not only a player, but a, an overall musician. Mm-hmm. So yes, I would say it has served me well. I think we come full circle. You know, I, I, the first probably recording I ever did was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I hear some of those recordings and I'm like, man, there's a spirit there. There's like a, I wasn't thinking, of course, I don't think we were even using a click or. Right. But regardless of that, you find that you start trying to think about all those things, the millisecond around the click and where it's falling in place Mm -hmm. and what people are expecting from you. And are we putting ourselves in the same headspace as somebody like near Z? Like we have to sound like him. We have to sound Mm -hmm. like this. It's like, dude, you're not near Z. So get over it. Do what you do. There's a reason why that person called you. Yeah. Um, Because you're more affordable. No. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Most likely. Most likely. But I think that. Uh, that 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 thing where we're not thinking so much when you're younger, mm-hmm. and the spirit of the music comes across. It's like I, I I'm reminded of that when I hear a young band where everyone's doing everything together and making this great sound. Individually, they may not be as strong at their instrument, but collectively, they're all working so well together mm-hmm. that oftentimes gets lost when you you're at a place in your musical career where you understand a lot of that stuff, but you get wrapped up in the technicality of it and you lose the spirit of it. And then the maturity brings you back around to it's time to get back into the emotion Mm -hmm. and what connects you to the music and all that stuff that you worked on in the practice room and experience growing up is innate and let that happen. Yeah. You know, but I, st- I still struggle with it, though, to this day. Um, but, yeah, that getting your head out of the way, that's yeah. when music happens. It, re- it really is. And but I think that is going to be a lifelong struggle for just about everybody mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. is the place where, you know, the, the technical aspect and the emotional aspect collide. Mm. It's always going to be a tough place to find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, yeah. Unless you're just so amazingly arrogant that, and maybe that's my next jam. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to become, look out. No, uh, I, I, who I, was it that, uh, was it Bernard Purdy? 
that would put up signs that say, uh, you done gone and done it. And then on the other sign would say you hired the hit maker and he would, it may have been Bernard. I don't know. It's gotta be him. And it might just be a legend. It could. But but either way, that might be your next move. (laughs) (laughs) Just carry a marquee with you everywhere to to sessions. I don't think I could do that. (laughs) Um, Brandon, through Brandon Owens, we've connected here. And so thanks to him. Uh, But I want to ask you, there's a, a, a small group of drummers that he likes to use, and you're on this list. Is there something about your playing that he is like, this is why I like to use Richard? That's a good question. Okay. <laughs> is uh, there anything ever come up? in conversation or on a session that's like, Richard, this is why I dig you, man. You do this. You bring this element or dessert. You know, he's the, the only comments I've ever heard from him uh, have been things like you come in, you only play what needs to be played mm-hmm. and, and you get it done quickly. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you know, he's, he's made some other comments about how, like, I don't, I don't fight the artist. Yeah, you know, if they ask for something, then that's that's what they get. Yeah. Um, uh, I've never gotten this comment from Brandon, but from other musicians, they always say, you know, like, "Hey, I really appreciate you today. I, um, you know, I felt safe, or I felt confident. Mm -hmm. Didn't have to worry about you." And and Mm -hmm. what they were trying to say was. I knew that you were always concerned about what I wanted yes. out of the song. Uh-huh. So um, I I would say part of it is playing, but yeah, most of it is probably attitude. Right. Which I, I think um, it comes through in the playing as well, but yeah, um, you, you, they're not separate. They're no, not, ex- not at they're all. not exclusive ideas. No. Right. Um, which another thing like I I used to think that mm-hmm. you know like it used to bum me out that I would find out it didn't really bum me out but you know you hear guys say things like well you know the only reason that guy's got that gig is because he I don't know makes that person laugh or mm-hmm. or whatever and I was like man that stinks because what what about talent what about all this practice I've been doing and mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. as I've grown up and just you know, I guess, so to speak, checked my ego at the door. Yep. I'm realizing that you're right. It's those, they aren't exclusive, uh, independent ideas. They, yeah. they are, um, they work together. Very much so. So, um, yeah, so I, I would say it's, it's attitude, um, with Brandon as well. Mm-hmm. Like we enjoy each other's company Yeah, and he does a good job of, calling me in for artists that he knows that I will most likely get along well with. Yeah. Which is also important. Yeah. Because if you come in and you're a turd to the artist, (laughs) they're not going to want to hear what you play. They're going to disregard it. Mm -hmm. I I think. Um, It, 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 It can affect the performance of everyone, mm-hmm. including the artists, and they're like, that just wasn't, I, I didn't dig that at all. Yeah. It wasn't fun. It wasn't, I didn't feel created, creative. Yeah. 
it's technically great, but I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind of a jerk, and I have a long list of wonderful players I can choose from. Yeah. Why use that guy again? So what if that you know? But the song isn't a fusion track, right? It wasn't that demanding. It needed something that felt right. Yeah. And if the attitude and the emotion contributes to your performance, then mm-hmm. there you go. But uh, this, is, this is another thing I've learned. Mm-hmm. Being nice on a session and being agreeable doesn't necessarily mean being walked all over. Okay. Uh, I know that's probably not, it may not be relevant to the question, but it's something that I mm-hmm. I had to learn. Yeah. Um, you can you can still offer up ideas, right? And you can still stand up for what you need to get paid or your time. Yes, you can still stand up for those things, right? And be agreeable with the artist right. and the music, right? Um, and I didn't understand that at first, and I probably I know I lost a lot of time over that. Yeah, maybe a little bit of money, um, and maybe even a little bit of respect. From those artists because yeah. they knew they could just talk to me however they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough balance to find. I, I it is. I I, I think that all that is totally relevant. I think even Will Lee, the bass player for David Letterman, mm-hmm. when he and his friend first moved to New York, and they thought, "What's the going rate for session players?" Okay, if it's fifty bucks, we'll offer forty bucks, and they weren't getting any calls. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know what? Let's tell everyone we're going to charge 75 bucks. I don't remember the exact amount, but he right. charged more than everyone else. All of a sudden, the calls came in. Man, this guy must be good because he's charging this amount. Yeah. And I think sometimes you think, well, yeah, he's a great player. But how much of him that we know of uh, was as a result of the experience that he gained, you know, over time. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know. It, it it's it's really uh, it's funny. I was we were just talking about this the other day. Uh, engineer a friend of mine and I will we, work together, and and uh, we we did a, a record, a couple records with this guy. And at the end of the an, end of a session, we'd say uh, he's like, "Oh, how much do I?" I I'd say, um, "Well, uh, 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 Based on, we've had this conversation leading up to the session. How much do you charge? Okay, so he knows that already. But he's yeah. not keeping track of things. He's having a good time. He's creating. He's So he says, well, how much do I owe you? Um, uh, it's uh, 300. Is that is that okay? And he goes, you know what? You guys do that. I ask you how much I owe you. I'm here to write you a check. We had a great time today. Did a good job. Tell me how much I... Don't, don't say... Is that okay? When a plumber yeah. comes to my house, he charges me this. He gets the job done. He goes, and we're like apologizing for this. Yeah. He's like, you're working, man. I mean, like we were friends. He mm-hmm. wasn't giving me a hard time beyond being my friend, but saying, you don't have to say that. Yeah. My friend, I'm here for you. But don't say, is that okay? Where do you think that comes from? Uh, it might come from, hey, I'm here to ask the questions, man. You don't ask yeah. them. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Richard just turned this around on me. I think it comes from a combination of 
my Midwest upbringing, trying to be polite. Um, fear of coming across as arrogant and insecurity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I asked the question because that's another thing that I, I think a lot of guys struggle with is how do you price yourself? How do you mm-hmm. how do you determine what your time and playing is worth? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not easy because there's no handbook, and you're in the South where nobody talks about money. Everybody's really private about mm-hmm. it. So how, yeah. how do you how do you find out? Mm-hmm. what you're worth. Mm-hmm. Like it took me forever to find out what a decent day rate was for touring because mm-hmm. nobody talks about it. Right. Everybody talks about these kind of vague numbers and I do it too, you know, cause I don't want people to know how much I make. Mm-hmm. It's my, my dad always told me that's, that's rude. It's, it's impolite to ask or it's tacky to say, but these are important things that you have to import from other business models. Because there is a popular narrative that artists and musicians aren't worth the same amount as um, construction workers or teachers or that's a bad example because teachers, we all know, don't get paid enough. Definitely. Um, Right. Yeah. (laughs) People that have quote unquote real jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... That has kind of filtered in our own subconscious as, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I no wonder I don't get paid as much as this attorney because they do this and that or they do that, you know, or this bank manager or whatever. It's because they've got a real job. It's mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? Do you know how many hours I spent working on my instrument? Yeah. Creating this thing. <laughs> I think it was maybe like the president of Billboard mm-hmm. or something like that was uh, was talking about Steve Jordan as a player. Right. And he was like, you know, it's not in what Steve plays. And I'm paraphrasing the, mm-hmm. the quote, but he was like, it's the room that he leaves for everyone else's imagination to fill in. Mm-hmm. Not just as the other players, for the other players in the room, but also the listeners. He leaves room for everybody to jump in and experience uh, the music together. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what's so special about his playing. Um, so I've, I've learned that um, just kind of taking that, that mindset is if I play this thing, mm-hmm. am, I, am I dominating the conversation? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be that guy that talks the whole time mm-hmm. and leaves everybody else um, just like waiting to jump in on the conversation and never able to? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to invite people into a, you know, a, a group experience? Mm-hmm. And, um, so if I'm, if I'm doing fills everywhere, a guitar player wants to be adding texture mm-hmm. or if I'm playing a drum solo over, the cool hook melody and the turnaround. Yeah. Then I'm dominating the conversation. Yeah. But if I can, you know, if you're in a session and you get everybody's heads nodding and they're feeling it. Right. Then you, you know, you've kind of hit that right spot because they're all participating with you. Right. 
um, as well as you participating with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that's something you can really, unfortunately, you can't teach. All mm-hmm. you can do is learn to experience it, mm-hmm. um, which goes along with, you know, like checking your ego at the door. Right. Um, be open to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, be open, you know, uh, when a, when a guitar player go, says like, Hey man, can you, can you do this kind of fill here? Mm-hmm. Young, you would say, Hey, I'm the drummer. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. you used to, you know, I don't tell you how to play that A chord. Do I? Right. I don't tell you what pedal to hit mm-hmm. on your pedal board. Let me, I know drums. You don't. Right. It, you learn how to check that and you go, you know, maybe he's telling me something that that he's wanting to hear to embellish his playing right i'll go with it right uh let's let's just see where it it takes us Mm -hmm. so um yeah i i think uh as as long as you are paying attention to what everybody else is wanting to do and what they want to say um you can figure out how to um support them. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Be uh, happy for and supportive of your friends and their success. Well, it's the same thing in a session. Mm -hmm. Um, So you you have that element, but then you also have knowledge of the genre that you're playing. Right. And uh, I I think if you can marry those two Mm -hmm. attitudes, Mm -hmm. um, because you know if you're playing a samba, Mm-hmm. You know where you typically hear like a snare cymbal crash thing mm-hmm. as an accent with what the piano pl- piano player is doing, right? right so, right. Um, uh, yeah, I think having listened to enough of the genre and studied it as well as um, being mindful of group dynamic. Yeah. And also know that sometimes when you get a non-drummer's perspective, they introduce something that sometimes can be beautiful in your yes. life or like, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's, I love that. Yeah. What a great idea. And, and chances are it's, it's coming from something that they heard that you've never listened to. Mm-hmm. And so your, your mind is being opened up to a, um, a, a new mindset for situations like that. A, a friend of mine would say, Hey, that fill that you're doing on the chorus, it's like, I think drummers would love that. But that's not, yeah. <laughs> that's not what this needs. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I I did a session one time, and uh, you know we got done with the take, and the engineer, I, I, engineer and producer, you know, he was one and the same. He was such a nice guy, and he goes, "Hey man, dude, I really like that fill. Can we try it again without?" Um, Without, uh, and then the artist pipe, like he pipes in on, on the top back and he's like, without so much skill, man, we don't want to, you know, we don't want so much skill. And it was like the nicest way to say that was too drummery. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it made me feel so good. I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I blew some, whether I did or not, it doesn't matter. He sure, made sure. me feel like I just blew their minds yeah. and went too far with it. Yeah. Um, it was and sometimes it, it was nice. It was a nice way to hear it. And and that, that there's also that that's like you know that that sixteenth note thing that it's cool, but like loosen it up just a little bit because there's yeah. a human element. There's mm-hmm. a there's a guy I work with. He uh, produced a track for his wife, and he used Superior Drummer, 
mm-hmm. on the track. And he's co-producing with Dan Huff. Okay. And Dan's like, I love it. It sounds great. But, and no one would know it's not a real drummer. Yeah. But I just want to throw this out there. Matt Chamberlain's in town. We'll have him do this extra track. And it's like, well, okay. Matt comes in and it's almost like, he goes, it was incredible. And it wasn't a difficult part. Yeah. It was the human element and the Matt Chamberlain element too. Yeah, which is like <laughs> <laughs> unattainable element. Right, right. Are you recording much? Because one of the things, one of the, 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 a lot of great information was on the Sound Better site that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've gotten some good reviews and some good, and I've heard some tracks and it was really cool. And you talked about some production that you've done as well. Mm-hmm. But what, what is your setup like? Are you able to access that pretty quickly? Or do you have mm-hmm. a room and, and what have you learned through that process? Um, I've learned, uh, about thorough communication for yes. sure. Yes. Because when you're working, uh, with somebody through email, like one of the albums I did through that site was for a guy in Norway mm-hmm. who is on, he's sleeping when we're awake. Mm-hmm. So lazy. Yeah. <laughs> it did, he was so lazy, <laughs> but he, so our, our communication was spread out. Yeah. So our time frame was extended mm. and we had a language barrier because yeah. he was fluent in English, but you could tell it wasn't his first uh-huh. language over communicating um, with questions about what they want. Yeah. Not about what you're trying to do, uh-huh. what they want mm-hmm. um, can get you going a lot faster mm-hmm. if you feel like you have a good understanding um, there's that. And then the other thing that I learned was the Apollo is invaluable in those types of settings because instead of going through, and this is just my personal take on it, instead of going through and setting all your pre's and taking pictures, if you just go through the Apollo, you can save it digitally. And so I could work on, um, oh, so, uh, the UAD Apollo, um, is a analog to digital uh, oh. converter, but they also, you know, Universal Audio makes these great plugins like the the Neve uh-huh. Breeze and the API channel strips. So I'm I'm using those to do the same. I run them in unison, so it's the same thing as running through the hardware. Okay. And, and of course, there's a big debate: digital versus analog. But in those situations, it's really great uh-huh. because I can work on the track, move on to something else. And then when I finally hear back from that guy, if he has revisions, I just recall the console that I used for him. And it brings back all those pre's and settings. Oh, and what um, is this? This is, this is a piece of hardware. Yeah. Uh, okay. Universal audio, um, makes, you know, they have this whole line of Apollo mm-hmm. and you can get anything from two pre's to eight pre's to 16 channels. Um, a lot of larger format studios use them for their analog to digital conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm using it for that. And in some situations I'm also using it as my preamps. Mm. So, um, if, 
if those artists were able to come into the studio, mm-hmm. then I would use what outboard gear I have, maybe even borrow some mm-hmm. to accommodate what they need. Yeah. But when I'm working over email like that, yeah, I prefer to go digital right. so I can save everything and then come back and pull up the same settings yeah. and make a revision for them yeah. um, without having to spend an hour resetting everything. But, and I know that a lot of people are looking for the raw track. Mm-hmm. That's what you're providing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the amazing thing, yeah, one guy uh, emailed me and he said, I want that Nashville sound. That's what I was going to ask you. One of the comments on there was on, on the Sound Better site and said that Nashville vintage sound mm-hmm. that Richard gets. What is His idea of that sound. His idea of that sound. Was vintage drums. Yeah. So I have an old Slingerland kit. Uh-huh. Um, and he, you know, running through Neve Prees. Mm-hmm. That that was his perception of the Nashville sound. And to his credit, that's what a lot of people are doing around here. Yeah. Most studios have a vintage kit that just stays set up. Yeah. Uh, and it goes through, you know, an API 3124 um, or Neve or a combination of those Prees. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And so when he emailed me and said, that's, that's what I want, then mm-hmm. I knew exactly what to do. And, uh, but that was, that particular session was one where I borrowed extra Neve to, you know, have friends with 500 series Neves and borrowed that. And I found myself having to snap pictures. A real, my a real Neve. You're not, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and after that, I saw a video of Vance Powell, uh, really great mix engineer and producer okay. demonstrating what he was doing with the UAD plugins. And so I thought like, Oh, well I'll, I'll try that out. Yeah. And see a lot of got it, the same sound. Like I was trying to, you know, I tried to match that guy's session where I borrowed the Neve Prees. Yeah. Came back in with a digital recreation of, mm-hmm. of Neve. Mm-hmm. And got it. I mean, I almost dead on. And the advantage would have been I could have just hit save mm-hmm. instead of having to take pictures. Right, right, right. Um, There's as as the technology has changed and become more accessible, I find myself thrust into the the technology and the learning curve that I'm up against because when I was coming up you go to the studio and there's somebody that knows all about this stuff for you. Your mm-hmm. job is to play drums. And so I understand more than I did a year ago and more than I did two years ago. Yeah. But I, you, you, you're from a generation that kind of, you're kind of coming up into it from the ground up mm-hmm. or knowing that stuff. But the listeners can't see when you say some of the stuff, I look like Homer Simpson. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> uh, the crayon is far up in my nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's, uh, I've just, I've, I've learned how to rely on the digital side as a tool. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not, I'm not going full digital, but mm-hmm. I'm not, also not fighting it either. Um, because, 
the fact is the digital era has made it more affordable for someone in my shoes yeah. to have a studio at home to make tracks for somebody who doesn't have the budget they used to. Right. So, right. um, you know, somebody once told me adapt or die. Yeah. So Dude, I'm adapting. Chad Cromwell has a home studio. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, come on. You just can't. So some, some people have the option to do whatever. I mean, well, again, Nier has his home studio, but I mean, it's oh, all yeah. different. So, but I agree. Like there's opportunities that, uh, I think could be missed by like, well, that's not how I do it. You know, well, that's, that's, this is how I've, it's always worked for me. So, and Hey man, if it still works for you, great. Right. But I, I, and I, I want to adapt because I love making a living at doing all things musical, including the podcast. Yeah. No, I'm not, not that I'm making a living at right. this. <laughs> this is, this, this is as an extension of the big picture for me. This is, uh, uh you know, brings to the, uh, the table, um, information that allows me to do what I want to do, mm-hmm. just play and create. Um, but I have to understand how all this works because I enjoy recording, um, mm-hmm. and the ability to do it in my underwear in my, in my home yeah. sounds amazing. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you would not want to do it that way at my house. It's frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, in, <laughs> in the public, <laughs> sorry, yeah. but not at your house. Well, my studio is in the basement. Yeah. So it's, it's always cold. It's all- <laughs> So you're going to want to layer up if you ever layer record over there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, um, I would prefer to be all analog all the time. Of course. It's awesome. And it's, yeah. it's got such a cool sound and there's something, I was just talking with a, a friend of mine this weekend. There's something about actually turning a knob, mm-hmm. um, that is, that it creates a different experience. Uh, for you as you engineer and dial in your own sound mm-hmm. as you're recording yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also something to be said for being able to control your settings yeah. from the computer right next to you and not having to get up and run around. Yeah. So they, they both have advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to be so intimidated because somebody said, oh, well, if you want to record drums at home, you need at least 15 to 20 Gs to, to get that rolling. Yeah. And I was like, uh, mm-hmm. Nobody, I, who has that anymore? And so somebody finally said, it was actually Greg Morrow. <laughs> I met him at an Amy Grant show. Yeah. And I asked him about it and he goes, dude, you can't, don't, don't worry about what the big studios have. Here, go buy this piece of gear, mm-hmm. these mics, and just start. Yes. And then as you, as you start to earn a little bit of cash tracking, you add this piece of gear. Uh-huh. And you had this piece of gear yeah. and he's like, also don't be, don't feel like you have to have a $10,000 microphone because your room probably doesn't sound like the room that that microphone's in. Yeah. So I pick the brains of my engineer friends all the time. Right. And what I find out is, okay, I think I need these Neumann mics, but what I find out is for a room my size these other mics work actually much better. Um, oh, right. You, you know, whether it be like, um, uh, I mean, it could be anything from 
a 57 to a road, you know, and road mics aren't expensive mm -hmm. or it could be mic tech, which is a really great mm -hmm. middle ground between mm -hmm. really expensive and really cheap. And so you start finding out what actually works in your room to get you mm -hmm. a really good professional sound. And you, you, you might actually be surprised at what works and how affordable it's become. One of the things, and I'm not sure if this will be part of the episode, but when mm -hmm. we first started talking, you talked about an SM57 on the hi-hat at a session. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, this, is, this works really well. Yeah. And I've been thinking about an SM7 for some time for my hi-hat, even though a lot of people don't mix the hi-hat in there. So it just hasn't been a big priority. But when you were talking about that and, and, and Neary has used that, and it mm -hmm. makes me think, oh, I have like six SM57s and they're yeah. $99. And yeah. there you go. Oh, yeah. I have a friend that swears up and down that he could make an entire record with one fifty-seven in his arsenal. He's yeah. like, if I have a good pre and a 57, I could make an entire record. I believe it. I believe it too. Yeah. Um, funny story though. Uh, this is going to be such a name drop. I was at... Um, <laughs> George Clooney told me once, never yeah. name drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was... Um, I, I was at Martin's Barbecue uh, up near oh, yeah. Belmont. Mm -hmm. And the guy I was with goes, hey man, I'm going to go say hey to this guy really quick. Yeah. I was like, oh. Is it a friend of yours? And he goes, well, it's, it's near Z. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you know him? Like, yeah. What? And uh, he goes, yeah, come here. I'll, I'll introduce you. Mm -hmm. And he was super nice. And I, I was actually, I was like, man, I, I owe you a, a huge um, like debt of gratitude. And he was like, why is that? And I was like, I learned so much about tracking drums just from being in a studio the day after you. And he was like, what? He was like, sure. What'd you learn? And I was like, I learned about the magic of a 57 on a hat. Uh, you know, I learned about this mic placement uh -huh. that you apparently had taught the producer. Uh -huh. And he goes, oh, man, yeah, that's just years and years. And he goes, I'll tell you what, though, um, just because you mentioned this, he was like, I actually have grown to love an SM7 on hats more than a 57. <laughs> so you're like... You're ahead of the curve and you don't even know it, you know? <laughs> Near and I have crossed... The tried to connect, and uh, I've had requests for people said, "Can you get near on the on the show?" Mm -hmm. And he's been very gracious in his interest in the show. Um, but and we've come really close. And then the day before, he's like, "I got a call for a session," and all my guests have volunteered their time, mm -hmm. and I uh, am so grateful to all of you for doing that. Let, let me just start. This is volunteer. Yeah, right. <laughs> sorry. I was your, I was under a different understanding. Your, can I get your PayPal account? Yeah. <laughs> so when somebody calls and says I'm working, I've got a session, yeah. I've got a gig, that and any of that family, it all takes precedence. Totally but understandable. I thank all my guests and everybody for for doing this. So near is it? It's my goal to get him on. He'll yeah. be on uh, at, at some point for sure. But I, I yeah, it's um. It's a constant, um, I think that's the other thing I love about music is it's a practice and there's learning going on constantly and it makes me feel alive mm -hmm. that, um, 
And I think that just growing and learning about anything, whatever you're interested in, makes you feel more like you're living than just existing. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. I And this, I think this is true for a lot of things, but I would, especially for a professional musician, mm-hmm. learning about something other than music mm. is just as valuable. Yeah. If not more valuable in some situations. Mm-hmm. I listen to podcasts about marketing. Yeah. Learn about, I don't know, computer programming or mm-hmm. um, learn about an instrument that's not yours. Take right. some piano lessons. If you're a drummer, take some piano lessons. Mm-hmm. Or uh, uh, Todd London used to swear up and down, if you would take dance lessons, you'd be a better drummer. <laughs> yeah. None of us ever had the guts because we all felt stupid. So we didn't, we didn't ever put it to test, but he always had this theory. Like, if you learn about the movement that you're supposed to do to this music, then you're going to understand how to play it better. And how to connect with the audience. Yeah, Because exactly. you know that when you see them grooving heads bobbing, you know, in the audience, you're like, mm-hmm. this is cool. I think I'm on yeah. something. My friends and I, just out of college on a summer, we're like, hey, there's this Latin ballroom and dance. Let's all go do it. And so mm-hmm. a group of dudes together. You know, we're all pretty, pretty weird already. So yeah. it wasn't weird for us. It wasn't an extension of our comfort zone to do this. But like two things, yo, get our, figure out how to connect to the music and, you know, guitar, keyboards, two keyboard players, guitar player, and two drummers. Let's go take dance lessons, get our groove on and meet girls. Yeah. I was about to say, you totally did it for the girls, didn't you? <laughs> so, I knew my wife before, but we started yeah. dating her and her friends started taking dance lessons and we started dating about the same time we started taking dance lessons. Okay. And then we had a Latin salsa band at our wedding. So I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my friend started, he dated the dance instructor for three years, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, I, I'm telling you, if that's not an incentive, I, I don't know. You're dead to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so many wins. Um, what's your, what's coming up this year for you, man? Man, I, um, I've been doing some work with an artist named Mac Powell. Okay. Um, who used, he was the lead singer of a band called third day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're, they're actually, they're doing their farewell tour in May and June. Oh, and, wow. Um, after 25 years as a band, mm-hmm. they've all decided to pursue other things. Mm-hmm. And he loves music and country music so much that it's all he wants to do. Okay. So I'm going to go out and do some shows with him um, and continue, hopefully, recording from home. And then yeah. uh, summer summer dates this year with Matt are a little bit more spotty. Okay. Um which is honestly kind of a welcome change. Usually summers are just so jam-packed for him mm-hmm. uh, that I, you know, I can barely find time to breathe. But and things so, have changed for you. So, yeah. Yeah. So the summer, um, I, I get to, one, I'll, I'll be forced to play music that I haven't been playing for the last seven years mm-hmm. more regularly, which is awesome. I'm actually really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, refreshed perspective. Um, so it's going to be a fun summer. It's going to be a different summer than I'm used to over the last few years, but I think it's going to be great. Um, 
I'm also helping some friends engineer drum tracks, not because I'm a good engineer, but because they're better at engineering than me. So, um, do, you know, taking a lot of time to, uh, improve my skills mm-hmm. in those areas, mm-hmm. which may not necessarily be a gig or a, a paid thing, yeah. but trying to use my time off wisely, yes. um, to, to grow. Yeah. Um, which for all you unmarried drummers out there, that is a really hard thing to explain to your spouse <laughs> when, when, if they're not familiar with the music industry, like for my spouse, she's like, wait a minute, you're going to do what? How much does it and pay? You're not it's making not what? Pay. And it's going to take how much time? Yeah. And it, it took a little while for her to start to understand like, okay, so this is going to lead to something yeah. eventually in some way. Yeah. Okay. Let's compromise on the amount of time you're going to sure. use to do it. Sure. And we can learn how to support each other. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be the next few months and then fall with Matt. We'll get very busy again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the fun thing about being in, you know, the, the worship and Christian scene is when all my friends in country music are at home in December, I'm out on a Christmas tour. Yeah. Right. And it blows all their minds, you know, but right. I'm like, yeah, that's, well, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of that, that industry season. Yeah, that's know? right. So, <laughs> um, and so, and I think there's a Christmas tour in the works for okay. that. Uh, as well as he's, I think he's releasing a Christmas or he's planning on releasing a Christmas record this mm-hmm. year. So that's why we'll be doing the, the Christmas gotcha. thing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's going to be a pretty eclectic year for me I would say, awesome. compared to the last few years. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just cause we're kind of coming off the end of a record cycle for Matt. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's slowed down a little bit and the new record is out. And so it'll start to ramp up yeah. towards the end of the year. My friend Dustin Ransom and I, I mean, Dustin is an amazing musician, uh-huh. keys, drums, bass. He's Mr. Everything. Yeah. Uh, we were roommates and we would uh, set up kits facing each other. And we came up with this game uh, and we called it the groove game. And we started inviting third and fourth drummers to come in. And the whole thing is um, you set up some parameters uh-huh. and one person comes up with a groove. And it, it might be that you have to sing a bass line in your head or out loud while you play the groove. Mm-hmm. And that's what dictates the groove. Or you can only use three voices. Yeah. Uh, you know, or it can only be in this style. Uh-huh. You know, so you, you, you kind of cage somebody in right. and force them to get as creative as they can be. And they come up with a groove and then the other people have to play it back for 16 bars exactly like verbatim without messing up. And then it's the next person's turn to come up with a groove. Uh huh. And you'd be amazed at how it changes your playing because you're forced to get into the headspace of another drummer on the spot. Yeah. And you get as picky as you want. Like I would play a groove, he would play it back and I would stop and be like, Hey dude, you're pretty heavy on the ghost notes. Uh I was playing a lot lighter Uh and I felt like that was essential to that groove. And then he would go, you're right. Okay. I'll I'll adjust. Yeah. And it was something that he had never done before Uh or, uh, man, he, man, he had this nasty four on the floor groove that he did one time, Mm -hmm. which sounds really simple. Yeah. So I started playing this four on the floor groove and then he criticized me and was like, 
no, uh, you're not digging it in on enough on this voice and your hi-hat doesn't have the right phrasing to it. There's something lacking. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're constantly forcing e- each other to do things. And, and then once you get done with a few rounds of grooves, maybe you move into licks. Mm. Here's a lick I like to use in this context. Mm-hmm. And then you have to learn how to play something that you... Uh, one guy one time came in and he was playing groupings of five over sixes mm. and we were all like what what we, we just never worked on anything like that before and he opened our mind to it yep and you you know you can't move on until the other person at least gets it most of the way there mm-hmm. and you can spend hours doing that yes and it's one it's a good hang yeah. two it's good growth right um it's it's a huge challenge so i would encourage anybody listening that has other drummer friends yeah to do it and yeah. and ask invite people over that you may not be great friends with and and watch how they're playing changes you because you're not judging each other even though you kind of are but you, you know but it's, it's in a helpful to, way exactly yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's sure. meant to be constructive yeah um it might be it's it's an easily you know like my top five list of most valuable things that I've done. I love that in Nashville. And I think that I've heard people say, you know, it's like I'm tired of listening to myself. Mm-hmm. I come up with the same things. Yeah, and to have that feedback from your peers is different than from a teacher. And you get to a point in your life where sometimes mentorship is more important than having a direct teacher. Mm-hmm. But I've I've entertained that idea a couple times with some peers and players half my age that I said, man, I would love to get together and just, can you teach me this thing that you do? Mm-hmm. And you play this so well and you have this thing that mm-hmm. I don't have that I still need to get to that yeah. I haven't found yet that you've discovered early on. And I don't ever want to stop learning. Yeah. And it ends up being like a, a huge experience of growth. Yes. If you let it be. Right. So, allow it. Allow it to happen. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, those moments are, I think they're, they're crucial in, in your musical journey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I would say that's an undeniable fact that those are crucial. Yeah. Because those are the things that change your playing. They, they change the way you listen, the way that you approach songs. Um, and they also help you grow in that humility to, to receive advice or input. You're used to, then you become more comfortable with receiving information and, and input and constructive criticism or yeah. criticism and not let it get in your head. Yeah, exactly. Especially on, in the heat of the moment. Yeah. On stage or in the studio. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm a vessel. Let's yeah. do this. Exactly. <laughs> Richard, this has been awesome, man. I could keep going, man. If you want to stay here for another couple of hours, <laughs> I love these conversations. I, I, I would. I got a new car with an invalid license. I need to get that. And yeah, got, <laughs> yeah. <you're... laughs> I have a, I have a, uh, listeners with uh, limited bandwidth, and mm-hmm. we've we've been rocking this for. Well, maybe it's up to the two of us to increase their bandwidth. You know, that's like, right. Yeah. right. Stretching us. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
but I appreciate your time yeah. and coming over here. And um, and man, great to meet you. Yeah. And uh, it's been cool, dude. Yeah. Thank you so much for having it. me. It's yeah. been really great meeting you. Uh, always meeting new people is exciting, but then to meet dudes that are easy to talk to and yeah. uh, where the conversation flows is is really it's great. Great. So. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Thank you. Many thanks to Richard Scott for taking the time to speak to me. He uh, was a wealth of knowledge that uh, I, I did not anticipate, and it was good to pick his brain about a scene I was less familiar with, and uh, he just exudes a lot of excitement and energy about learning and growing, and it's, uh, it just it, it fires me up, and I'm so happy to have some time to sit down and uh, talk to him, and I hope there was a takeaway for you as well. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's episode. Uh, Many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance and helping keeping this podcast rocking online and otherwise. Quick reminder, patreon.com slash working drummer is a place where you can help support what we do here at the podcast. Also, find us on workingdrummer.net and you can see where we have t-shirts available. Those are just $10 a piece with graphics on the front and the back. Cool colors, cool new design as of last year. So check those out, workingdrummer.net. And thank you all so much for listening and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.